We're human, don't you know, just like you are. I'm Rachel Woods, HRBP turned coach. And in this series, I explore the technicolor spectrum that is life in HR with folk in the know. It's those that have been there, bought the t-shirt and are happy to share their experiences for us all to benefit. So grab a cuppa, get comfy and we'll crack on. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Neil McKenzie. Now, Neil is a self-professed, relatively normal person. Husband, father, loves driving, eating, theatre, walking, football, biking. He has a Harley and he likes DIY. Not sure how normal that makes him. No pets, but a regular dog sitter and a lover of complex, different, weird and wonderful problems. Now, that might explain his specialising in Tupi and redundancy for his consultancy business. Now, Neil and I got chatting about all things Tupi a little while ago. And although it brought me flashbacks of long days, emotional consultations and some pretty uncomfortable corners being backed into, his eyes kind of lit up. So I'm wondering if he's all that normal after all. But that's where this discussion starts after this big human welcome to you, Neil. Hello, and thank you for coming. Uh, hi, Rachel. Thanks very much for uh, offering to grill me, talk to me. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be, so we'll find out. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it up as we go along, Neil. <laughs> we absolutely will. Before we start, though, on the lovely subject of, of Tupi, something that I, I fell into um, and turned out to be I was quite good at, so I got stuck with. Um, before we get into all that, though, what? I'm asking all my guests what brought them into HR in the first place. And the variety of answers are fascinating. So I'd really like to know how you came to be in, in the, the wonderful world of HR. What got you there? Um, I worked for IBM um, in the UK and um, I was a professional development manager, a PDM, in a team of about ooh, 15 or 20 of us. And my boss uh, moved out and went into a team that was called... Um, commercial engagements and alliances that then became HR business development mm -hmm. and she loved the job um, and she sort of headhunted me into it I was sort of doing HRE things as a manager so doing grievances disciplinaries dismissals enacting redundancies where I was told I've got to tell these people I made redundant sort of things mm -hmm. and then I found out that Tupi actually was going to give me access to all of those things for a new group of employees I don't like process which is ironic <laughs> but Tupi process is never the same. Yeah. And, and my colleague Nancy really sold me on that idea. And it was a Tupi team that I that I joined. So we were not exactly in HR, but not in the business either. We were the bridge between the two. So that's how I got into it. And I did that job for 15 years before I left. Gosh. So that's a it sounds like a lot of Tupis. I mean, to have a Tupi team, that's pretty yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think for um, a lot of HR, it's something that gets bolted onto the job, but for it to become your kind of raison d'etre is quite fairly unique, I would imagine, is it? Or is it more common than I, I, I believe it to be? Some, and how can I put this delicately? Some companies profess to, to do it and don't. Mm. And some you'll suddenly find people hidden within their ranks that are actually quite good at doing Tupi. And, and I think it's all down to education, um, understanding what it actually is and what it means to the business um because i'm sort of the conscience for the business trying to make mm. sure that they do things properly and within the law and also look after the employees and those two things have got tension sometimes they're not always the same so you have to fall back to what does the law say yeah there's like kind of legal requirements versus yeah. what kind of ethically and morally you would want to do um i know that i've, I've had times yeah. when they've not always been entirely aligned um Absolutely. i've actually been a little bit frustrated by the legal framework because it wasn't as kind to the employees as I would want it to be, given that Tupi is, let's face it, it exists to protect employment. It resists, mm. sorry, it exists, it, it exists to protect the workers and the, the workers' rights. Sometimes the law makes it more uncomfortable for them, I think, than it needs to be. But before we get into that, I think oh, that's probably getting into nuances here. But um, some listeners, I guess, will have heard of Tupi in theory. Some will have been doing it to the nth degree or have had it up to up to here um some may never have had the pleasure yet um so can you give me a kind of really kind of brief ish top line summary for those that aren't fully au fait with the regulations or the the, the legislation as to what it is and, and why it exists what does it exist for in in principle yeah sure so it's the transfer of undertakings brackets protection of employment close brackets and they're the regulations that it's not law as such they're regulations that are part of the um, whole employment um, 
legal aspect of, of doing business. So if you're in a, a company that is um, either an acquirer, so you acquire businesses in order to grow and develop, or you outsource um, either to or from, so you might outsource your IT department to another company like IBM or other service providers exist, um, or you insource, so you are the one that actually takes the work in for somebody else, or you uh, are going through a divestiture, so you might be a um, piece of your business that you don't do anymore, so somebody else is going to buy that off you, so you are divesting that, they are acquiring it. Mm. All of those functions have people that do those jobs, and because that work is transferring to another employer, the people follow their role. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And I, I'd like you, I've been down a few rabbit holes with, with lawyers on uh, consultation committees and things. But the, the, that's the key principle of TUPE is that you follow your job. Whatever happens after you've followed your job is what consultation is about. So you have to have consultation before you transfer, not after. And there's various legal and financial penalties if you don't do it properly. Okay. Even with certain ferry companies that don't do it properly, <clears throat> they are still going to have to pay for that and their reputation got tarnished, they still did it. So that's why it's not law, it's legal regulations. And that, that I guess, is a nuance that I hadn't really got my head around until that certain ferry company mm. did what they did. It's funny, isn't it? Because I suppose there is that commercial toss-up for an organisation to go, right, well, you know, if we do it all properly and consult for the requisite amount of time and put all that effort in, that's going to cost us X. If we chuck all that in the bin and just do and we get fined, that's going to cost us Y. And if Y is more than X, okay, we'll consult. And if Y is less than X, why would you consult? And I guess there's that, like you say, it's not because it's not law. And there's that, that freedom a little way giving... to kind of flout the, the, the guidance, isn't there? To, yeah, and that's the, that the advice you this. give internally. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that, that's the advice you give internally to somebody. Say, well, I can see what you want to do. That's not the way that I would recommend that you do it. So I'm giving advice like a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. Obviously, yeah. Like a lawyer. I'm giving you advice. If you choose to ignore it, then it's on record that I gave you that advice or <laughs> that advice not to do it, whatever. Yeah. Um, I have seen, I, I have pushed the boundaries of the regulations to Lake Creek um, mm. and its work because it's generally been for everybody's best interests. You're never going to have a perfect solution. You know, one client I had, the solution was going to involve redundancy. We knew that in the fullness of time, once we'd taken over the whole process, we would put that out to another part of the company in another country. The roles wouldn't exist in the UK anymore. Mm. They had fantastic terms and conditions, and they were knocking on my door saying, literally, can I be put in scope to transfer, please? What job do you do? Oh, I'm in um, secretarial. No, you can't, because that's not something we're taking on. But you're saying about the cost. It isn't just the financial costs. So P&O have, have and are going to be punished in the courts because yeah. um, unfair dismissals and discrimination and all those sorts of things are coming up. A lot of companies, especially if they are in the business of providing a service, will want to make sure that their reputation is untarnished. Yeah. And they then pride themselves. And it is a selling point to the client to say, look, we, we do things ethically. You know, we know and you know that it's you that are actually going to make the employees redundant, but we're physically going to be doing it on your behalf after they've transferred because that's why you're outsourcing it to us so we can reduce the cost. That makes sense. In business sense, that, that makes perfect sense. But if we do it badly and we get taken to a tribunal, the client's going to get negative publicity, but so are we. And yeah. because we don't want that, we do things properly. And that's why we had that team of, actually, we were, we were over 20 at one point, including the in interns and the support staff and uh, whatever. Gosh. And and we did it properly, and we got yeah. a reputation for doing it properly. We even had clients asking us to tell them how to do it, so they could do right. their side of it properly. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And I think I, I I recall that. I think um, I used to, I worked in a in a medical foods setting, and we we would sometimes have the GP in and out of um, healthcare workers, nurses, and, mm. and the like um, from basically our competitors, depending whether we won the contract or not. So we'd win the contract. They transfer to us or, or ours would transfer to them, depending on where we were. Um, and I do recall some fairly inexperienced HR folk trying to handle the Shoopy on the other side of the kind of the fence, if you like. 
and almost acting as a consultant for them to say, look, you know, this is what we need to do. This is what we're expected to do. And this is how we do this and what we will do for both uh, you know, our own people going out or if we're talking about their people coming in. Mm. Um, but, you know, you, you would you would hear from the people that you kind of reach out to. Um, well, they're not they're not consulting with us or they're not doing this or they're not doing that. So you end up almost advising them saying that you really do need to consult with your people about this. Yes, we'll come in. Yes, we'll take them through the process. But we're not supposed to do that until you've done your that's quite frustrating sometimes isn't it where it's almost um people start to feel almost throwaway when it's too transactional too normal um as well you know and i guess it can be a smooth process if people are quite used to it i guess i know i've worked with some people that worked in sort of the catering and cleaning kind of industries Mm. um and every two years they'll end up doing the same job in a different outfit and they kind of joke it. Oh yeah, same job, different dress. You know, it's just that's their that's their kind of joke in it. And they they know that their you know protections, their employee rights, their terms and conditions are coming with them. Um, they've got twenty five years length of service across fourteen different employers. <laughs> with, yeah. with their current employer, they've only been with for six months. Their length of service is twenty five years because that's what they inherit, right? Um, and it's quite an interesting I'm, I'm... to see those ones that are normalised versus the ones that come up. Um, I think the ones that are more shocking maybe to the individual are the yeah, unexpected. The emotional change curve. The emotional yeah. change curve always comes into it. And I've always got my mind on that. I guess my the way I work and always has been is, well, how would I want it done to me? Mm. And I've always been, you know, broad-shouldered. I'll take it on the chin, if that's not mixing my metaphor, to say, I was asked in 2P consultation, well, who's going to make us redundant? I said, well, that's not what we're doing now. Yeah. Part of the solution we provided to your current employer was that we will be looking at redundancies. So some of that work will go offshore, some will be more mechanized or computerized, and some will stay. Mm. Well, who's going to actually do that? So I said, well, I will. And the look on their faces was, oh, really? Yeah. Our managers currently wouldn't, they'd, they'd say, oh, be, your HR will do that. Well, no, it will be me because I'm the representative of my company or my client now. Um, and you could see them thinking, oh, good. And I've actually had those same employees thank me for the way that yeah. I've made them redundant when I eventually got there, which yeah. seemed very perverse to me. It is. But I think it's that it's that feeling, isn't it, of being, even though it's an unpleasant thing to go through, if you've got one point of contact and they've been there for you throughout, even though it's an unpleasant, unpleasant process, I think having that one person that doesn't give you any wobble or flannel or twaddle, whatever word you want to use, um, does tell you straight how things are, what things are happening, and also give you the option and the opportunity to be fully heard. Whether or not you can agree or do anything about the things that somebody's trying to get off their chest, the fact that you're giving them the airtime to get it off their chest means a huge amount. And I think when you come to Yes, okay, if there are you know, redundancies off the back of tubey processes um, or as a result of or or just in general, you know, two years down the line. Um, it's it's an interesting one for, for both, you know, people exiting as a result of things, you know, like you say, being outsourced again, you know, abroad. Obviously, mm-hmm. I suppose tubey could potentially apply <laughs> if they wanted to go to another country. Um, but ultimately you know you're 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 there you're that one point of contact um that must help as well though for those that are staying for integrations i mean is that something because you have this, uh, this large team and don't, folks that are listening not everyone gets that luxury of having a large no. team so we'll get on to that in a minute um did you find though that that was was that team's role part of that team's role the integration process as well as the actual transfer process yeah so the, what currently happens with clients now is that i'm it but I will mm. work with their, their own HR or management team. Um, in a company like IBM or any service provider like IBM, they will have different lines of business. Uh, that might be software sales. It might be uh, technical infrastructure. It might be um, consulting. Wherever the work is going, that's mm. where the people will go. So we have them that they get split up into different groups. So they're not the same team of employees anymore because they're going how we're organized once they're transferred. Say we, I mean they. Yeah. Previous incarnation. Yeah. <laughs> um, we would work with the line of business and they would tend to have people managers in place to work alongside me or one of my colleagues. And then that transition would be from the client to and through me to their line of business. 
I would still be their point of contact for the first few payroll runs or maybe the first bonus run or whatever it might be that might be causing contention. And then I'd back out of it, formal handover to business as usual. But I would always be their transition manager. And in those 15 years, I had people from 10, 12 years suddenly contact me and say, do you remember when I tupied in from XYZ, you, this happened? Yes, I do. Well, it's not happened. So we'd have to go and find out what's happened and why it's been unpicked. It might be a new system's come into place and something got dropped off. But they knew that I'd get it fixed. Mm. Or if say, no, that's dropped off because after 10 years, you lost the right to that because that was what you used to have in the client. Whatever it might be. And yeah. they'd get a straight answer. Yeah. And that's it. Isn't it? I think that is the key to it, isn't it? Is is, is, is That sort of, I think, call it radical candor, don't they? It's, it's that straight talking. It's not that radical. It's just telling the truth and, and saying, look, mm. this is things are this is what not sugaring the pill and saying oh of course this is all going to be lovely and fluffy and brilliant when you when you transfer you're going to love it it's all the same it's all you know nothing will change of course it will change <laughs> there's going to be some differences it's going to feel like yeah. it's a new culture it's a new organization and like you say the work will be organized differently the work still exists yes you are still a an organized group coming across but once you're here, the work itself can be organized differently. The, the, the Chupi um, regulations or guidance doesn't apply to how we organize the work going forward. It applies to how we treat you and what protection you have. And that's 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 kind of the, the, the kind of key message, because quite often I think I would find people coming in and saying, well, you know, we work like this. So that has to stay, right? It's like, well, no, that's how the service is delivered. Not, it's not about your working hours. That, that has to be protected. Your holiday and all that kind of stuff has to be protected but the fact that you drive that sort of car there and we have these sorts of cars on our fleet list yeah that's you're going to have to give up having a ford and go to a Vauxhall. i mean that's an interesting one because yeah i won't name the the car manufacturer in the uk um they actually had a contractual right to a car made by them really that's interesting now that is that would be protected technically and that was protected and we didn't have them on our list so we had to facilitate them (laughs) (laughs) or buy it out yeah Um, but even then if you buy it out that's um that's not solid is it nope buying out isn't permanent buying out isn't um yeah which is quite an interesting um very very you can promote out can't you i think if you do a different job through a promotion yeah, you can. And that's a different um, set of terms and conditions you sign up to because you've gone from maybe a peer to a manager or something like that. Absolutely. You've accepted yes. a new job, new terms, everything else. Boom, you're locked out of what you used to have because you're in a new role. That's the case, yes. There's but certain, staying but... in the same role for 10 years and suddenly going, I don't like Fords anymore. I don't have to have this. <laughs> yes. I don't like being in my new car. I want the Ford. Yeah, we bought you out of the Ford. No, but now I want the Ford. It's in my contract and you can't buy me out from that. <laughs> it's just like, and it's silly. I don't think anyone would ever do it, but. In theory, that's possible. There are right? some little um, <laughs> what what do we call them? Um, barrack barrack room lawyers who oh, uh, right, yeah. read up on it on on the internet and then come in all guns blazing and and one carefully aimed little shot just below the waterline and they're, they're sunk. Yeah, I don't like doing it that way. I normally like to convince them, but if they won't, it's just well, yeah, this is what's happening. So yeah, <laughs> but actually, as you were talking about pro- progression and things, then you mentioned promoting out. I was just thinking from three different deals um i can remember people that are when i left were senior executives in the uk that had come from it departments within different clients that we had you know mm. they found their niche and started to move out of it into other areas and suddenly took off and i think it's fantastic when you see that yeah yeah it's really nice so for all the ones you lose because it's really it's really easy isn't it to kind of think about the ones that leave even if it's not you know not redundancy or they come across mm. you think oh, they're integrating this is great it's brilliant great to have them and then they leave anyway mm. and then you think oh that's you kind of feel a bit or oh, you have to you know you, you know they, they, they don't want to stay they don't like the culture there's this you know stuff happens you end up having those conversations what no one's allowed to talk about after the fact um and you just that always feels a bit of a kind of a, a fail on integration think, what did we do wrong what was this and sometimes it just doesn't suit somebody um i know we brought a load in um we purchased a small um fmcg food manufacturer um and the sales team came across um and actually could have very neatly fitted into the sales team that we had quite quite nicely same level of car same holiday actually a lot of the terms and conditions were like super aligned there wasn't there wasn't much in it in fact we had a few that were nicer and better um the holiday for one and the pension um but ultimately 
the thing that drove them out and caused a huge amount of consternation was their job titles, yeah. which weren't actually contractual. <clears throat> no. But the job title wasn't in their contract. They were brought in, I think it's, it said, you know, to work in the sales force as a salesperson. Now, salesperson wasn't their job title. They had, over the years, morphed into asking for particular job titles. Um, and they had this quite kind of highfalutin um, job title, which didn't really describe what it was they were doing where they were before the transfer, certainly didn't describe what they would be doing <laughs> afterwards post-transfer. And it didn't align with any of the rest of the business. Of course, there was this indication that everyone kind of, we'd, we'd want to change that. We would want to move that. It had only been, I think, a year since they'd actually had these new titles. So kind of there was a query around whether customer practice was fair, not fair, reasonable, not reasonable. But it became such a bone of contention, they all ended up leaving. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's self-perception in that respect. I had a, a very good discussion. So... Um... IBM had been a, a very big, probably still is a very big acquirer in the software business. Um, I, I know in my 25 years there, they must have acquired well over 120 companies um, with thousands and thousands of um, employees came, coming across. And some of them were the president of or the vice president of. VPs. <laughs> and you sort of think, so they wanted their titles. Well, OK, but you're now a smaller fish in a much bigger pond. Mm. You know, your whole revenue was four billion dollars last year. Well, that's what IBM used to put into research and development every year. Yeah. You know? And that was part of the transition was trying to get them used to the new culture. And some people, it was an ego thing, which I get. You know, um, I'm not a salesperson. I sell by relationship. I, I couldn't go in and say, buy this because it's by this company. It's just not me. Mm. But they could. And part of that is down to an attitude, uh, an attitude of, of how they work. But to be told, so we had this conversation and I said, so a vice president means that you're second in command. You're the second top person. Yeah. So you're a number two. And he looked at me and said, so do you want to be known as a number two or do you want to have a different title, which demonstrates that you're actually selling blah, blah software for IBM? Well, I don't see the difference. I said, well, one is saying that you're an expert in something. The other is a generic. I'm a number two. Mm. whatever connotation you want to put on the word number two and some of them were real number twos <laughs> but <laughs> about to say, did you I, have was a to him laugh. I was trying to make him laugh and that's why I'd started down that line and eventually he just looked at me and said yeah I see what you, you're trying to make me say and I'm not going to say it but I do agree with you mm. it's and, interesting and... that 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 perception like you say it is that big fish small pond yes. and then suddenly same size fish, but much bigger pond. Um, and that, that, like you say, it's, it's um, that, you know, can you, if you're coming into an organization where, yes, okay, you were second to the, the CEO, you know, because the organization was like, I don't know, 50 people and mm. you in that kind of headspace, you're moving into being kind of the top of a department, but then that the basically goes into a hierarchy that's got five or six different layers above you because it goes right up to the global board and all the rest of it. Yeah. It's a very, very different construct, isn't it, to this kind of small organization thinking. So to, to want, to, I, I can see why you'd want to hold on to kind of VP or whatever, or head of a, or director of XYZ, you'd want to hold on to. But at the same time, because I guess there's the CV argument, isn't there? And it's what we had with these, these healthcare professionals, healthcare salespeople, um, is the perception was, well, on my CV, it will look like a demotion. So you're coming from a two million pound business where you are, I can't even remember, it was like strategic head of sales or something like a strategic sales yeah. head or something like that. Um, so you're coming from a two million pound business where you're strategic sales head into a 200 million pound business. <laughs> as part of the sales force you know you wouldn't be a strategic sales head because that's that's at the level of the sales director yeah that suggests that you're in that so you you wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense in this structure and certainly our client the nhs seeing you in that structure wouldn't take that seriously they'd be like why are they sending the big guns in mm. and it's not a nice kind of conversation with their local sales rep for this particular product and you know, they bring sandwiches and coffees and then you know have that chat. Yes. It was, oh my God, they're sending somebody really kind of senior in. It must be serious. And that would set them on the back foot. And that's not what we ever, not the relationship you mm -hmm. ever wanted to have with. with you know, I, I agree completely. Purchases in the NHS. That's not something you want. So <laughs> it was a really interesting, and again, the 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 
this perception, one thing they couldn't get past or wouldn't get past was this piece around, but, but my CV, but my CV. So they'd rather leave and not put the transfer role on their CV than stay, take the benefits. Um, and the, it just, it, it, it saddened me. It did sadden me. And yeah, I always think to myself, see. what could we have done differently? What could, I mean, I'm a coach. I think, well, how much coaching would that have taken to help them get their heads around I, I guess how important the they would be with, despite the, the, the status symbol of a title? Yeah. I think, I think we used to try, uh, it was the business that ended up saying, this is what we want to do. So part of the deal might be that the whole of um, blockchain engineering acquired by IBM is going to remain blockchain engineering for five years, over which time we'll look at how we assimilate the different components of that company into the way that the bigger company does it mm. and that didn't always work <laughs> um so ibm acquired a company called red hat a while ago and red hat was going to stay pretty much as it was as a, a little monolith within the ibm umbrella yeah and that did work because everybody stayed or pretty much everybody stayed at the higher level and it's when the, the top people start to leave either because they're headhunted or they don't like being a smaller fish anymore, they don't call the shots anymore, um, or they're getting hounded by people that they never used to get hounded by, so bigger um, board members or maybe bigger um, investors through the stock market, so shareholders, Yeah. and they don't like that level. It's completely different, and and you can't always get that bit right. I think the thing is, so long as you are doing all the right things, those that want to engage with it will normally be all right. Yeah, that's, the, that's no, my sort of perception. You've just got to try and cover all bases, and if you miss one, you know what? You learn from it. Yeah, yeah, we have to, don't you? That's the thing, isn't it? And next time, you you, you make the new the, the tweaks, and you, you find the nuances in your process, and um, and something yeah, else you know. rears its head. Yes, exactly. I was just thinking about that actually, because sometimes there are these, um, I suppose, grey areas where you do question whether. 2p is applicable mm. and if it is then saying okay it is applicable but how is it applicable now i recall um oh gosh it was years and years ago i worked for a company called connaught who's since gone down the swanee sadly um but they did facilities management so they would mm -hmm. look at social housing so lots of different contracts looking after social housing that a lot of you know people came in through 2p through out you know um, local authorities outsourcing their workforce um but i do remember having they lost some, they sort of lost some business. Um, a local authority sold off some housing stock. Mm. So the contract didn't go. Part of the contract stayed because it didn't sell off all of the housing stock. But they sold off areas of housing stock to three different local authorities. And those three different local authorities were serviced by three different um, facility management companies like what we were. Um, we were only one of one of the, the, the kind of four in the, in the area that, that did it. And because it was housing stock and because it was geographically based, the engineers, the plumbers and the gas engineers and the um, electricians and the like that were working on those housing stocks in those areas because their job was to that ge geography with those houses and those essentially, you know, it was determined by the, by the lawyers, thankfully, that Tupi did apply and they had the right to transfer. Now, the arguments came was with the specific houses, specific postcode zones and all that kind of stuff. So an awful lot of, I think, research and anal analytics went on to kind of define where are they working? Is it all of their time? And that was the danger. I think we had two where they were 65% on those housing stocks and about 35% on those housing stocks. So those were owned, those were inherited, tupid out to whatever, this particular company. And the 35% that wasn't, was so this person was split across two. And the question was like, on, on on balance, where do we send this person? Because the one thing we did know for sure is we didn't have any of those housing stocks. So we had no work for these people. Mm -hmm. And therefore it was between these two companies. Now my, in my head, I'm going, it's got to go to the 65% because you can't split somebody and make him part-time because he's, you know, that's, that's, that's not fair. <clears throat> but at the same time, of course, that, you know, where, who then, so if they wanted the staff, who services these? Two of the companies were brilliant. They wanted the staff. They were yeah. welcoming, they were helpful, they were friendly, they appreciated my input because they didn't have, they were really small businesses. Um, they, they had outsourced HR support, basically, that, that wasn't overly um, au fait with Chupi. And they were great. And it was smooth and it was lovely. One. And it was it was a 75-25 split. Yeah. So it was just a 75-25 split. 
the 75 was with them. The 25 was questionable at best. So it could well have been about 15, but it was a kind of some fuzziness around a, a postcode that had actually been rezoned. <laughs> so this is a county, you know how the county brought It's a conspiracy, around. always. Is. It was the whole Avon. Yeah, it was all the, uh, yeah. the whole Avon, Baines and Somerset kind of thing going on. So you're like, where is that now? When it was drawn up, it was this, and it's evolved over the years to this. And Baines came along as a Bath and Northeast Somerset became an area of Somerset. And he's like, oh, good grief, you know. So it was it was fuzzy, but I think the case of you know 75%. And we were we we had to, this is where I talked about being backed into a corner. We're like, well, we don't have work for you. We would love to have re, you know, re rescheduled him, put him somewhere else. We had work somewhere else, but it was a long way off. For him mm. to drive it wasn't fair to expect him to drive two hours to spend a full day working and drive two hours home again that's not going to work um so we sent him off to this company so that you're going to have to turn up on day one on their doorstep i know they're saying it doesn't apply and i know they're saying they won't accept you they are going to have to and that's a horrible thing to have to yeah, say to yeah. someone i've come across that brinkmanship before it is it's horrible because the employee is born in the middle it's horrible yeah and for the employee, that's the worst bit, isn't it? And for us, we're feeling bad about it. But the, for the poor employee to turn up at a doorstep of a new employer, know full well that employer doesn't want you. Well, I, I had, I did have a similar one. Um, in, I, I won't go into the no, I, I can't name the names. No, that's fine. Um, that's why I'm, part, I'm saying part, part of the work was being yeah, part, part <laughs> of the work was being um, well, a, a contract had been lost. Yeah, to provide this service, which was a recruitment service, and the new provider. I'd promised, yes, we'll do this, 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 and this. And yet every engagement that I had with their HR um, and with their employee relations um, was trying to chip away and not responding to questions that I raised on consultation uh, to, oh, well, um, so for instance, um, on transfer, so eventually I got a, a contract out and they agreed that Chupi would apply. Um, on transfer, um, they're currently sitting on client premises. Uh, no, they're currently sitting on, on my client premises. Um, obviously, they won't be able to stay there. So we'll base them from um, all of our clients within the, the greater London area. Um, and they won't be able to claim mileage in between the clients. Their contractual base location will be the client that they spend most time on that year, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just said, no. They currently have a contractual base location in this area of London, which is where my client's premises were, mm. I expect you to put them into your nearest prime location, which is on the other side of London. So it's not in the city, it's in Victoria, mm. uh, with some sort of compensation for the extra cost if they come from the east, because they're going to have to go further west, so they'll have to go through the central zone. Um, and then any expenses to client will be reimbursable through you. And they argued they got their lawyer involved and eventually I say I'm not a lawyer, but I just had a lot more experience on Tupi than him. And I just said, Will you show me where in the regulations that what you're trying to do is legal? Because yeah. I don't think it is. And I've told the employees that. Yeah. As soon as I said, and I've told the employees that, he knew that that was them then starting to put information together to say that they were being badly treated, failure yeah. to adequately consult, and potentially yeah. constructive dismissal. Trotting off to I didn't mention those words. No, you don't have to. <laughs> And in my in my example, that's that's actually where that went. That is actually where that went yeah. because we've given them the the, the legalities, if you like. I know it's not a law, it's not a law, but at the same time, it's it's a legal process, isn't it? Absolutely. In that we gave them the legalities that this is this is where our hands are tied. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Um, you know, we let them keep their vans until like you know, until they basically got a new vehicle. And but there's only so much you can do. There's only so mm. far you can go. Um, and I do remember, yeah, having to say to them that, you know, on Monday morning when you arrive, you know, give me a call in mid-morning. If, if people are still refusing to see you, give me a call because we do have um, you know, some people that you can speak to on standby. If you want to get in touch with the employee mm -hmm. assistance program, that kind of thing, we will leave that open to you until you are firmly there and you're theirs. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, they, they, they played hardball for a really long time. They eventually did, I think, take one of them on but still argued the kind of there was another one that they still argued and eventually they, they took it to tribunal of course as you know the tribunals first will say does Chupi apply they'll make all the tests won't they say it does it doesn't when they decide it does they'll then say where does the liability sit then they determine that so they did all of that and I think not unsurprisingly but you know it was nice to know it, it felt good when they went yeah actually you were right 
this is how this should have gone. And, you know, they are not correct in refusing to take these people. It's not in the spirit of the regulations. I think that was yes. quite interesting because tribunals do look at, you know, how the spirit of the law is applied, yeah, don't they? It wasn't in the spirit of protecting employment. Um, and ultimately, you know, they have this housing stock. They don't have the staff to, um, what they couldn't understand is that they had the housing stock. They didn't have the staff to service it themselves. They wondered how on earth they were proposing to service it when they didn't want a ready-made, <laughs> experienced, qualified, gas-safe engineer to come in and do it for them, who already had the relationships with the residents, already had the relationships with the local authority. It, it didn't make any sense. And there must have been something going on that we just didn't have sight of because it logically didn't make sense because ultimately cheapy in some ways can be a gift can't it absolutely you've got ready made workforce coming in to do the job that you've just won or inherited or bought or whatever you've got people they know the job they know the client they know what they're doing you put them in a new van chuck them in a uniform or you know whatever it is you do with them you you give them the tools to do the job and as long as you're engaging and helpful and, and welcoming to them in theory, you've got a ready-made workforce that could be. I know. Be I, I don't understand. You. Win. <laughs> it's, it's usually that somebody that needs to know what you were just describing isn't in the loop, in the other side of things. Yeah. And so I've had no problem engaging the ultimate customer, going to their line of business person who I heard talking on a call that I might have been on. So I've looked them up and said, "Can I just talk to you about such and such? Because I don't, I don't understand how this is working, or how." Yeah it's going to work and usually that's come back as a oh yeah they're transferring to us i said do you want a little chat with your hr because they don't seem to think it does right mm. a couple of hours later there's a rather um uncomfortable call from hr to say um can i talk to you about chupi please and i haven't sort of gone yes but i i had one where um <laughs> we'd we'd want a piece of business it was server maintenance and it's right at, you know, up IBM Street. They, they do that for breakfast. It's easy. And one was one person. He had every single minute of every single hour booked on everything from Sun to um, HP, Unix, whatever it was, even IBM ones. Every single day was full. Well, the way that IBM was um, organized was that the work would be split on day one into those that had expertise on the different things. And the fact that he had all this knowledge was great, mm. but where do we put him? The work is going to be fragmented immediately on day one. A fragmentation. Well, I said it's a fragmentation of service. Mm. His role does not transfer because there is no role for him to go to. You can't send an arm and a leg to this area or that area. And that can be geographical or technical. The other person who happened to be up in Liverpool, I said, can you give me the facts and figures? Because he doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he should be in scope there's only two people in the whole deal and it really i didn't get involved with all of it they were going to go to a third party who ibm then used and i just said can you go and have a chat with him and find out what he actually does do because i don't think he does this because it only looks like about 10 or 15 percent of his time so i want to know what else he does well this person who i'd worked with a long time um for a long time before rang me back and said right so um Chupi does apply because it's all he does it is only 10 or 15% of his time because that's all he's got to do. He goes in on a Monday morning, a Tuesday mm. afternoon, a Thursday morning and a Friday afternoon and make sure the server's working. And that's it. The rest of the time he goes home and he does stuff, but nothing to do with work. Wow. And was full time. And he was paid full time. And she said he looked at the floor and said, no, I actually don't do anything else. So he went on a quite an intensive education program he was told that from week one he would start to be given extra work extra areas to cover and about six months later i was told he was absolutely deliriously happy because he was finally busy he had a purpose he had a purpose and he, he was miserable and, and that's why he hadn't engaged in anything that's what i thought he was evading me because he knew that he didn't actually do the work and didn't want to lie to me but it wasn't it was he was embarrassed yeah they felt unwanted there, so yeah, marginalised, and it's incredible, isn't it? You give somebody that that sense of purpose, and it says to show actually, people aren't lazy. People given the opportunity no. to like, not be working aren't happy not working. They don't no. want to be doing work that they hate, but at the same time, they also don't want to be sat at home doing nothing because after a while, you lose that sense of who you are, you, you know, your kind yeah. of purpose in life, that sense of meaning, your usefulness, feeling worthy. Absolutely. 
it's yeah. really degrading to the psyche, which is really dangerous. Um, I'm really, really conscious on time, but what would you say the biggest challenges are in kind of a tupi consultation? I think consultation is kind of the key, isn't it? If you get consultation right, I mean, that's the introductory start to, you know, a, a, an incoming or outgoing person's first taste of their new employer, technically, isn't it? That's that's the kind of first kind of yeah. step that you do. How is that different or what's the kind of different challenges when it comes to that versus, say, a redundancy consultation? I know there's emotions involved, but what's, what's the yeah, key? So it's the same change curve. You're, you're right in that respect. And it's they're both a process that is done to the employee. So I'm always mindful of that. And I always say that. Mm. So look, let's look for opportunities where you have some say in what is being done to you. And that might just be passive acceptance, but you have made that decision mm. you know, not to resist. Um, so what is different about 2P consultation? I think it's that there's a message to be given by the incoming employee uh, employer um, that you're coming across to us and this is what life is going to be like on the other side of the fence. And to me, there's three ways you can do, you can run that. You can either give, give all the information to their current HR for them to relay it, and you don't attend the meeting. You go to the meeting, they run the meeting because it is their consultation because they're you know they're transferring uh, group, and then they hand over to you for the HR solution, and you give that, um, or you actually run the consultation meeting. My preference is to run the consultation meeting, but that's probably just because of me. I like to be in control of as much as I can. I don't <laughs> like surprises, especially not nasty ones. But I have found that where they will engage with you, working as a team with the other side's HR works perfectly. Yeah. Because then when you are, so, so one particular client, um, a colleague of mine and me, because there were 128 employees and they were coming over in four stages and there were going to be redundancies that were envisaged, uh, some uh six 12 and 18 months down the line so there was a lot of work to be done to transition the work so these people needed to know that they were welcomed wanted and their skills were such that we pro could probably redeploy them if they weren't made redundant um the two people from the client that were in charge of the tupi had never done it before so mm -hmm. my colleague and i were coaching them mentoring them running sessions with their business to say, well, this is how you need to engage with us to do X, Y, and Z. Um, so when we actually went into the uh, consultation proper, oh, I had a trade union involved as well. Right, so nice. When we went into the consultation proper, the, the union was challenging. Well, what are you going to do about this? I said, well, okay, well, if I just go through the agenda, I'll explain what's going to happen when and how and how I'd like to work with you to do this. And I found all the collaborative words work well with the union. With the staff association who were more senior people it didn't work as well because they'd heard so much of that um corporate speak that mm. was empty so again i had to rely on well this is me this is you know this is what's going to happen this is how i'm going to run it no that's redundancy I'm not talking about that now i'm not saying it's not going to happen what i'm saying is that we're doing consultation for tupi so it's quite clear about what the process was, what the timeline was, which was really important, and what they would have to do and by when. And then you started to find out what their pain points were. Mm -hmm. so, so with the NHS people, it was pensions, because the NHS pension is a wonderful beast. <clears throat> it was with local authority as well. Yeah. That was always the pain point. For us, particularly, because getting your head around tier one, tier two pensions was yeah. just... So you have to start engaging with the government actuaries department, Yeah, who are actually very good, just a little slow. Yeah. You have to engage with your <laughs> third party provider who has to do, um, oh, what's the phrase? Was it substantially equivalent pension? Yes, provider. that was it. Yes, it has to be substantially equivalent. I remember so that. Yeah. The, the one that's provided by the private pension company has to provide a set of figures to the government actuaries department. They say, yes, that's br broadly equivalent. That's it, broadly equivalent. You can oh, okay, broadly. Well, then that's, then that's okay. played back through. Well, you, you say it has to be substantially equivalent, but the government actuary's term is broadly equivalent. I think that's what the legislation says for NHS pensions. Mm -hmm. And all that went through and everybody was happy in consultation, which was supposed to happen at eight o'clock on the Monday morning. So I was on site at eight o'clock on Monday morning. And I hadn't got a piece of paper through from government actuaries to say this is signed off. 
which meant that the pension wasn't in place, which meant that the transfer couldn't happen. Mm. Frantic phone calls. What's happening? Oh, Fred in government actuaries was actually off last week. Um, and I haven't yes, picked he up because he was off ill. <laughs> and I haven't picked up what he's doing. Can you look in his and get this done? Because it needs to be night. You've just cost, it's going to cost three hours of this transfer. And if it doesn't happen by midday, we might have to put it back a month, which will cost the business an awful lot of money, mm. you know, which is an NHS business. And uh, we got it all sorted. But it was because the consultation was done so openly and upfront that I think it worked because I had all the employees were, yes, we believe what you're saying, Neil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's that collaboration, isn't it, between, uh, if you can get it, between the incumbent organisation and the, 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 you know, the, the incoming or yes. sourcing too. It's that, I, the ones I've had that have been smooth or the smoothest have been where that's worked in, in absolute kind of beautiful tandem and everyone's been communicating we've all talked about it we all met up and and you know yeah. did a hotel somewhere because it's been somewhere in the middle of where we were versus where they are and you know, ultimately then you're like you know the the folks for us they were field-based they would come to this central location and yeah. they'd get treated to a nice lunch and all the rest of it while they were there because that was always making them comfortable make sure they're well fed and well watered and at the same time, they could see there was this alignment between, okay, we're losing you, they're gaining you, but this is what we've agreed on. This is where, how this is going to work. And, and therefore, it's much more seamless. Uh, yes. and the ones where they haven't worked is where they haven't been seamless, where we've had, uh, we had three nurses that were told to take their cars back to, I think, Red Car or somewhere like that, way up north. And they're not from up there. That just happens to be where the company's office is, the, the right. depot. Is told to take the company's company cars back to um, that, that that place on a Friday um, and expense the train ticket home to Somerset wow. or Bristol or wherever. That's how that's how cold this was. Drop your car off and you know not have someone pick it up. You know we've got fleet management companies that come and get it. No, you need to bring the car back here. And what I got to say what we did, we just did earn us massive brownie points with the three of them. Was we got their new company car out to them three days early. So they had a higher yeah. car from that Friday. I've done that, I've done that before. They had a higher car from that Friday um, in the morning, effectively. So they had two cars at once for, for a short period of time. But ultimately, because their other half or you know, members of the family could be insured on that car, they would have two of them and then they could drive back in their new car. And they didn't have to get the train. They didn't have to expense it and then wait however long it took to get the expenses back for the train because they were levers. Um, and it just that shocked me that how how an organisation could be so callous to just say you need to do well, this and we don't yeah. care how you get home we don't care how you get home from there even though it's the other side of the, it's the other corner of the country it wasn't even it's, the other it's side. I, I have Obviously, had one where um, the first instance of the client I was just talking about, not the NHS one, where a, a third party provider had about twelve people on site, and that work. So this was happening in the July. This is a long time ago, and I can remember. And in the October. We were due to take over this work from this other third party provider. And they really threw their toys out of the pram. They did not like the fact that we'd taken the contract off them. But it was awarded to us, you know, it was the way that it you was. Don't take that out on the employees, do you? Exactly. That's the well, thing. I'd love it to be a rule employee. in law for Chupi to say, don't be an ass to outgoing employees because that's not fair on them. <laughs> it should, it should well, just be written in They're not thought. stupid either. They don't lie to them either, you know. Okay. So they were they were telling their employees, oh, well, they're doing this to you and it, it, it's not us. But they had one guy that was their their boss who was never on site. One day every three, two or three weeks he was on site. Uh, but he was their nominal boss. And this particular provider determined that he was in scope to transfer to us. Mm. I said, how? Because I know that he has other clients and he spends more time on those than he does this. So some the work has to go somewhere. The reports have to go somewhere. The information has to go somewhere. And that will go within the IBM team, the management team but he's not in scope to transfer so over the following three weeks so this was early september in the following three weeks they took every one of his other clients off him so mm -hmm. that one. Of course. and he knew that's what they were doing and there's nothing he could do about it yeah it's that um it's that force we're trying to move somebody on isn't it let's make yeah, them in scope. worked for them for nearly 30 years okay. he was okay. he was he was absolutely distraught that they were treating him like that it's a pull. Oh, that makes me really angry, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. so, uh, the thing about Tupi yeah. is that I, I've got a very strong justice gene, mm. and I have to make sure that I lock it up sometimes because 
sometimes justice isn't right. You know, the law is an ass, as they say. Um, a, a phrase of mine is five lawyers, nine opinions. <laughs> because it depends what you're trying to do. Yeah. You know, you can get an opinion to back the solution or the route that you want to take. And it will be legal. It will be fair. It may not be just to mm. everybody because it can't be. You know, it, it, in business, things aren't always fair. But I try to make sure that if I'm going to do something that might be perceived as unfair, that I'm upfront about it and open about it. I don't hide with weasel words because they just get you nowhere. So I guess that brings me on to HR's role in this. I mean, obviously you're you're a specialist in this space, but a lot of HR teams will handle this kind of on mm. their own in-house and, um, and do it very well. Um, some don't do it so well and some do it brilliantly um, and everything in between, I guess. Um, but what would you say is the biggest opportunity for an HR team to influence a successful transfer in or out? What's their, What's in their gift in terms of where they are and the influence or reach they have within an organisation to, to make a transfer as smooth as possible for the for everyone concerned. Good due diligence. Make sure you know what you're dealing with. Make sure you know your data. Make sure you know your employees. I actually had one employee um, who had an Asian name and the wrong employee's details were passed to us. This was before GDPR, I have to say. But I was looking at this thinking, I'm expecting a 25-year-old male and I'm actually looking at a 55-year-old male. There's something wrong here because the person I'm talking, I'm expecting to go in and talk to isn't the one I'm expecting to talk to because I've spoken to him before. And they're, oh, we've given you the wrong person's data. I had the right person sat in front of me, but the wrong data. So I'm glad it was before I spoke to him. That was the client's poor due diligence. Lucky for um, them, it was pre G. It was pre G. Because that's really sensitive data to be giving to a third absolutely. party. Absolutely. Oh, when I, you I, have I, to give it, you're, you're legally obliged yeah. to hand it over. Home address, salary, everything. Yeah. All for the wrong Pension, person. car, yeah, yeah, bonus, you name it, um, everything. So good due diligence is essential um, and excellent communication. I think if you have those two things and you're prepared to communicate and collaborate with people and have all the information, you shouldn't really go wrong. Mm. Sometimes it's in the delivery. Sometimes you've got a stroppy so-and-so on whatever side who likes to stir things up, so you need to be able to have somebody that's good with people and can actually just take them out of the equation, sit them down, talk to them, educate them as to what the proper way of behaving is, or maybe what the actual issue, find out what the actual issue is. So all the things you were talking about before, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach, mentor, facilitator. I love NLP stuff. All of those things have helped me in the job that I've done. But usually what's got me out of problems and I have, you know, created a couple of problems but usually what's got me out of them is complete honesty. So I'm sorry I made a mistake on that. Yeah, humility. Can I, just, can I just stop, restart or reset and let's go again? And usually that's just, that's worked. And the one time it didn't, the relationship was already sour. It was difficult to get round. I ate a bit of humble pie. They weren't prepared to. So I just had to go on a transactional basis, which was the most uncomfortable. It wasn't a very long transfer, but it was the most uncomfortable I've done. The employees were fine, but it was my opposite number that wasn't. Yeah, that's fair. And that's just, you know, the way that it goes sometimes. Well, it's it's, it's interesting you kind of mentioned that because I was going to kind of ask for a little bit of indulgence, obviously being a coach myself. And obviously I specialise in HR folk now and helping them. But I think if I think back to when I was in the throes of processes and transactions and communications and conversations, and I think to myself, actually, do you know what I could have really done with someone like me or a coach or someone in that space? I had a mentor, which was fine, but she was very, this is how you do things. Um, mm. She was never a coach. She, she would ne never actually call herself a coach. She was very much a, this is how we do things. <laughs> mentor, very experienced, loved to share her experience, which was fantastic. I learned oodles from her, but coaching was not her style, which is, you know, she, she was quite happy to accept her. But I think there would have been something I think that would have made me feel more empowered and confident and competent had they had that space, that safe space to kind of think and vent outside of the team. Because I think when you're in an HR team, you can be in a bit of an echo chamber and you can all start agreeing with each other. And that's a little bit dangerous for something as that can be as, as emotive and, and um, I suppose not risky, but and it can be risky to navigate as chupy, um, as sensitive to navigate, certainly. Mm. So what do you, I mean, what's what's your take on that? I mean, it's, I know it's not a given. It's not something that often happens for HR teams going through a Tupi or people being integrated via Tupi to be allocated or given access to um, a coach. But would you see that as a, a, 
powerful thing for an organization to do or a nicety or a, what would be your, your view on that? In current climate, it's probably a nicety, but I think it's actually quite important. I, I probably fulfilled that role with a few people, mm. um, trying to get them to see things from a different perspective. So if I can tell a very, I'll try and make this a short story. Okay. So outsourcing, welcome day. It's all bells and whistles. Welcome into us. You know, aren't we wonderful? Da, 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 da. And I was sat behind two of the client people who were on one of their um, customer service desks, first line, uh, second line help. Mm. And the project executive who was uh, the senior client relationship person was doing his speech. And I was due to do mine a little bit later. So I haven't been introduced. I'm just sat at the back. And this guy, I leant across to the one in front of him and said, come on, ask the question then. So he said, Tony, um, who does your laptops? What do you mean, who does our laptops? Well, who looks after them if they go wrong? Or we've got first line help uh, run throughout the country. Um, but what about second level? Oh, that's all done from India. Told you, our jobs are going, he said to his friend beside him. So I waited a couple of seconds, got up, walked all the way back out around another door, came in behind um, Tony and said, um, can I do my HR bit next? Why is it? You'll see in a minute. So he stopped what he was doing and said, and this is Neil McKenzie, he's a, a, your transition manager. He'll be looking after the whole of the chief trans uh, transition. And uh, he's just asked if he can do his part now. So I immediately picked up on what this guy in front of me had said and talked it through and said, our plan, the one that we've sold to the client is that we will do this, this, and this. Some of that work will be going offshore to India. Some of it may be going to Bratislava or Bruno or wherever it might be. And there will be a core team here. There are opportunities, because there were at the time, for you to move into the other parts of the company, different towers of, of lines of business. Um, mm. And some of you, it may mean redundancy. At the moment, we don't know what that's going to be, but the timelines we're looking at are six, 12 and 18 months for the different teams. But I can't go into more than that. One, because it's not redundancy consultation, it's cheaper consultation, but I will be as open with you as I can. So sure enough, came to about six months um, minus three and, and uh, we were going to be offshoring these two chaps work to India and we were asking for people to go out to India basically teach them how to do your job and I didn't dress that up either mm. um, and he had a particular home situation that meant that he needed to be at home because he had a particular problem at home that he, he really needed to be there that makes sense and we were going to accommodate that so there were two of the, his female colleagues were going to go and a week before one of the female colleagues got quite ill and was told that she's not allowed to travel for a month and we weren't going to send a, a woman sexist or not we weren't going to send a woman to another country on her own for three weeks without any support yeah and i had a chat with him and i said do you fancy going he said, well why would i? I said okay so let's say we get to the redundancy point which we're not at yet and you are made redundant you'd want to be able to walk into another job wouldn't you yes i said so do you think do you which do you think would Sorry. be the best scenario for you to say so, so i had a talk with him and said would you like to go and, and be the face of selling your job to the locals over there so that they can do your job he said well, why should i i said so let's say you are made redundant I said we haven't even started redundancy consultation yet but you know i've, I've opened you up to the fact that it looks like it could happen and this is some of the preparatory work for that if you are made redundant, you will need a job because of your home circumstances, won't you? Well, yes, that's the problem. That's what, and I said, okay, you know, just hear me out. Do you think it would be a good thing for you if you were to be able to say to an employer, they were making me redundant. I still went to India. I told the locals how to do my job so much that they, they were able to let me go on the time that they'd, they'd envisaged. And I've got all that experience and expertise now that I can bring to you. To a new employer I said do you think that would be a good thing or do you think it would be so what did you do after you were made redundant then well I sat around for a couple of weeks and then what yeah. did you do? I started looking for another job and he actually went out he was asked if he'd stay for two more weeks so he had to rearrange all his home circumstance to enable that to happen and his family flocked around and I said I would cover his expenses I just had to find a way to do it but I said I would do it so I did it um. not personally obviously um, but he had to pay people to come and look after um, his son. Mm. And um, that cost him a lot. So, well, he wouldn't have to do that if he wasn't over there helping us. So I think we should pay that. So we did. He then left um, via redundancy 
went to work for somebody else and came back to us about three years later as a direct employee, as a direct hire. And I yeah. thought, he's my success story. Yeah. He was a lovely bloke, but that wasn't why I wanted to help him. I wanted to help him because I thought if he continues with the negative side of things, he's going to run into a brick wall and then he really will have an option. And as it was, he left happily because it was yeah. going to happen anyway. And I think that's part of the acceptance part of the change curve, isn't it? The more you resist, the more it hurts. And acceptance comes harder. I think it comes it comes later and it comes harder. And it, it's, it comes yeah, with a bit of a wave of, a wave of uh, a shadow over it almost. Yeah, it's I, I took it's reluctant acceptance rather than choiceful acceptance. And that's a very Absolutely, big, yeah. big difference yeah. between those two kind of accepting your lot, choosing to accept and go, okay, so what can I do with it versus, oh, I'm going to have yeah. to. There's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I took a voluntary package when I, when I left IBM. Um, because I knew my team was going to be split. And that's one of the reasons I love my job and I love the team that I work with. And to me, those, and I had a great boss. And th so those three things together, it's like, well, that's all going to change. And ironically, I don't do change very well. <laughs> so I, I took- It's a thing to admit. <laughs> yeah, and I, I knew how it was going to happen. I knew about the uh, settlement agreement. I knew how all the, the advice from the lawyer, I knew how all of that was going to, to work. But when I actually got that agreement and had to sign it, I was nervous. Mm. and I empathized with them now I can really empathize with them and that was yeah. all my doing I put my hand up and said yeah even though you chose it it was still scary isn't it and that's it absolutely was yeah it's a big step so I think it's a really lovely place to close I think um one or two final things actually one is a really short answer it's kind of an either or so early entrance to HR people coming through their CIPD training or the experiential group, whichever way they're coming into HR, is be something you'd say, get a handle on it early, or be something you can learn when you need to? I would say it's both. Learn it when you need to, but get into it as early as you can. We used to take interns into our team. They all, there were three of them, two in our team and one in the sort of European software team. They all got more out of their placement, I think, than all the other nearly 100 interns that we had in HR. Mm. But I would say get in early because it's if you like un unraveling knots, if you like solving problems, Chupi's great. Yeah. And there's yeah. so much people involvement. You, you've got the, the clients, you've got the employee, you've got your opposite number HR, you've got your internal business people. They can all be conflicting or they can all be as sweet as, as, as anything. It's always yeah. different. And I love it. If you yeah. can't tell. <laughs> I do because you light up that wasn't about. a one word answer sorry <laughs> no it's fine that's all I'll let, I'll let you off on that one um so shameless plug how can folk find you so folk HR teams that are too small have never handled two people before need to outsource something get some advice get some consultation bigger organizations saying you know we need more help whoever you're looking for how can they find you where can they find you I will of course put any links in the show notes as well but um where's your preferred method of getting in touch LinkedIn um, or through my website. But to be honest, the website is there really as a reference point. Um, it's due a refresh. haven't done it for 18 months. I, I would say LinkedIn because I, I will help anybody if I can, even if it's not a you know a chargeable sort of thing. But if, if it's, I don't know what 2P is. I don't even know how to spell it. What do I do? I can yeah. give them pointers. It's, um, I, I've tried to engage with a couple of law firms um, to be there cheaper person to actually run the consultation for them because lawyers are expensive yeah they can make the decisions and i'll implement yeah Good. so linkedin uh, far and away it, it's the easiest fantastic way. fantastic thank you so much great neil thank you so much for your knowledge your experience it's been an absolute joy i didn't think i'd enjoy revisiting my my cheaper experiences <laughs> of the past but actually it's been a nice trip down memory lane but also it's, it's putting that all into perspective and anyone new listening cheapy is not as scary as it sounds when you first hear about it yes there can be nuances yes it can be messy human as we know redundancy consultations can be just as messy and just as emotional and we kind of you know we kind of take them as normal in hr so um let's not be scared of cheapy um thank you so much Neil. Your, your experience shines through it absolutely does if you enjoyed this um, no not no because you enjoyed this do hit the subscribe buttons wherever you are if there's a little bell or something like that that tells you when a new episode comes out then click that too why not if you have any questions concerns queries anything like that as neil's just said find him on linkedin ask some questions engage um but don't be frightened to ask those those burning questions about the gp process 
Thank you again from uh, me here at We're Human, and um, I hope to hear you hearing us next time. Thank you.